1: you can drink beer with. Start your engine!
0: It's the Nick D podcast. All right, all right, all right. It is the Nick D podcast. Hello, I'm your host Nick Degilio. It is episode 137 of the Nick D podcast. We are here on the Radio Misfits podcast network, the best podcast network in the world. Check us all out at RadioMisfits.com. I have a second podcast, actually, on this uh, network, and it it is called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. It's all about Saturday Night Live. Uh, You should subscribe, really. Spread the word, tell people. Even if you're not a fan of SNL, it celebrates the world of the best sketch comedy show of all time, the legendary show that's been on for 48 seasons and still going strong. And uh, it's all about Saturday Night Live. You should subscribe right now to... That show hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast. Really, really cool and really, really fun podcast, as there are so many at RadioMisfits.com. So please check us out and take the time to rate and review us and give us feedback and all kinds of cool stuff. Give us feedback here at the Nick D Podcast. If you'd like to do that, you can leave us a voicemail at 773-417-6948 with any kind of voicemail message or anything you want to say. Uh... If you have questions or comments or any of that stuff, it's open 24-7, anytime, day or night you want to leave a, a voicemail message, we want to hear from you. If you've got a megaphone message that you would like me to uh, interpret for you, you can do that via voicemail, again, 773-417-6948, or email us with any questions, comments, megaphone messages, anything you want to say, we read every email that comes in, Podcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs down in Houston doing all the sound and the music and the themes. He's the best. And Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. Hey, it's a special uh, For the People episode. That's right. Every first Tuesday of the month, we dedicate it to you, to the people, to your concerns, to the things that help the real folks out. And uh, that's what it's all about. So we bring in our experts. We have some great experts as part of this show. And we get a couple of them to do... uh, the uh, For the People episode, and that would be Herb Weisbaum, who is our consumer guy. He is the consumer man. He's been helping people out, managing their money and staying away from scams, being a good consumer. He's been doing it for decades. You can check him out at checkbook.org, and he is the consumer man. And he is here to talk about all the consumer uh, concerns and questions and all the latest stories in that department. And, of course, our car guy, Tom Appel. He is our main man. He is with Consumer Guide Automotive, and he answers any and all car questions, and we talk about everything that's happening in the world of automotive worlds. That's right, the world of automotive worlds. I just made that up. Couldn't you tell? So, Herb Weissbaum, Tom Appel, our consumer guys will be with us for the people. And, of course, my dad comes by to tell a joke, as he does every Tuesday. Just because it's for the people. That doesn't mean my dad's not going to bust in here through the door and say hello to this lovely Hi, I'm
1: Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show.
0: I know you do, baby. So, yes, my dad will tell a joke. Herb and Tom will help you with the consumer issues on For the People. And you need to get your butt to Zanies in Rosemont. We do it once a month. Live podcast recording, interactive comedy. You win prizes. You have fun. You answer trivia questions. You are part of the show. And... Amy Guth is my special co-host. She is lovely and hilarious and smart and brilliant, and I love to have her as my guest. She's my host, by the way, because Esmeralda Leon, my regular host, who by the way takes the day off during the uh, For the People episodes, she will be in Las Vegas, winning a lot of money. So Amy Guth is kind enough to be sitting in for us. So Amy Guth will be my co-host, and our special guest that night will be the unbelievably funny stand-up comedian Jim Flanagan. He will make you laugh your butt off, and we will interview him. Have a great time. And uh, it's just great. We love doing these monthly things. We get regular uh, repeat customers, and we want more. So let's pack the place. It's Tuesday, May 16th at Zaney's in Rosemont. Very easy to get to, centrally located in Rosemont. Part of that huge, beautiful mall. There's lots of restaurants and bars around, so you can make a whole night of it and have some dinner afterwards or before. And parking is easy. There's a big lot there. It's free. Very, very easy to get to in downtown Rosemont. So Zaney's in Rosemont on Tuesday, May 16th. Doors open at 6.30. Show is at 7.30. Order your tickets now. It's going to be great. It's me. It's, it's, uh, it's Amy Gooth, Jim Flanagan on stage. My dad, my 81-year-old dad, will come up and tell jokes live on stage. And right there is enough for you to get your butt out there. And there will be a lot of great stories, lots of big laughs, um, trivia questions and prizes. It's a blast. Every time we do it, we have a great time. I want to thank everybody at Zanies and Rosemont who, who are so supportive and so much fun. And let's pack the place to the doors being jammed. So get there Tuesday, May sixteenth, Rosemont dot com. Go and order those tickets now. It's the Nick D podcast live. Tuesday, May sixteenth, rosemont.zannies dot com. Or call the box office at 847 813 0484. Jim Flanagan is our special guest. Amy Guth is my special co host. And we do it once a month at Zanies and Rosemont. Tuesday, May 16th, rosemont.zanies.com. Get your tickets now. Hi, I'm
1: Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show.
0: She wants you to get your tickets right now as well. All right. We'll see you on Tuesday, May 16th, Zanies and Rosemont. It's going to be a great night. Let's pack the place. And come up and say hi afterwards. We do a little uh, meet and greet afterwards and take pictures and say hi to everybody. So make sure you come up and say hello, and we'll have a great time. And uh, you can say hello to my dad, and my mom will be there. Just, it's just fantastic. We love to pack the place. So get your butt there on uh, Tuesday, May 16th, Zanies and Rosemont. All right. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, helping people out, it's Herb Weissbaum. He's up next. Uh, on this For the People episode, and uh, you should be congratulated. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah, don't be a jack. Herb Weisbaum is the Consumer Man. Yes, he is your hero when it comes to consuming the Consumer Man. Oh, yes, Herb is your man. Yes.
1: That's right, it's a very
0: heroic theme. For Mr. Herb Weissbaum, who is your consumer man, who you can check out at checkbook.org. And uh, he is the consumer man at consumerman.com and so on and so forth. Herb, how are you, sir? I'm a little bit jet lagged. Ah, so yeah. you
2: have to forgive me if anything I say doesn't make sense. Well, this that's, time. No, that's nothing new. <laughs> uh,
0: Herb Weisbaum uh, joins us uh, the first Tuesday of each month on our For the People uh, podcast episode. And uh, been been with me for many, many years back when I worked at the car wash uh, and uh, and elsewhere. Herb, always a pleasure to talk to you. Give everybody a little background on how long you've been the consumer man and you're kind of semi-retired and not and really and kind of and what?
2: Yeah, what? I've been the, I've been the consumer man for decades now. I've been a consumer reporter on various outlets from CBS uh, this morning to uh, the Today Show to Nbcnews.com dot com. And I'm now a contributing editor at checkbook.org. a very a different kind of nonprofit. We rate services. So as Consumer Reports rates products paint and roofing materials and siding and sinks and that kind of thing, we rate the services, the plumbers and the electricians and veterinarians and orthodontists and kennels and that sort of thing. We do that in seven major cities across the country, and then I write a national column from every week that's consumer information that applies to everybody, and I co I, I host their Consumerpedia podcast, which comes out every other week, and we talk about uh, some interesting topics that are of uh, interest that need a little more depth to them. We get to talk to the experts about that.
0: There you go. Consumerpedia. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I like that. That's a good name. That's a good name. Yeah, and I hated it when
2: we first came up with it, but now I really like it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. fun. It's, it's a fun name. Consumer. Consumerpedia.org.
0: Consumerpedia.org, and uh, you can check it all out there at checkbook.org as well. And uh, Herb's been helping people out in the world of consumerism. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, Herb. Did something happen to you where you were like, man, i got to help people out? Did you get screwed over? Did something happen to you, or or did you – did, was there an incident that where you were like, man, I got to know more about how I can stay away from these kind of scams or be safer?
2: Well, the true story is that I was a cub reporter in Syracuse, New York, after I graduated from Syracuse University. And I got really tired of covering robberies and murders and fires and standing outside in the cold at one o'clock in the morning, waiting for the medical examiner to bring out the, the body in the body bag, which in those days you had to have that footage. And I said, there's got to be a better way. And I so I started doing reporting that affected people's lives. I gravitated to consumer reporting, and then I realized that's what I wanted to do. But the story I always tell, which isn't the reason why, but it is an interesting story, and it is true, is that when I was a kid, uh, I was uh, coming home on the Pennsylvania Turnpike uh, from uh, one of my early dating experiences. I was driving, Nick, a Plymouth Plymouth. It was a 1964 Plymouth Plymouth. They ran out of names, so they just, they liked it twice, like New York, New York. True story, <laughs> okay. and I don't know if, if you remember, but that was there were a couple of years when several cars had push buttons yeah. instead of automatic or sticks, so it was like right there on the dashboard: reverse, drive, park. So I'm driving my Plymouth Plymouth home, and it breaks down along the Pennsylvania Turnpike. I don't know how I wound up calling my dad because it certainly wasn't cell phone days, but there must have been some emergency phone somewhere along the line that I found. Dad came up and hooked me up a, a to his car. We tied the cars together, towed me home. And we took it to a well-known transmission place in Philadelphia and uh, in the the suburbs there. And the guy put it up on the lift and said, yeah, we got to redo this thing. It's going to be about $400, which back then was an incredible amount of money. Not that it's not today, but back then, oh, my God. So dad said, you know, the dealership is two miles away and they've really been good to us. We've been there for years, bought all our cars. Let's just hook it up again and take it down to the dealership and see what happens. So we did that. Guy puts it all on the lift, couple minutes later, he comes back and says, okay. Like, okay, what? Car's fixed, it was like loose screw, no charge, thank you very much for being our customer. And I think I learned at a very young age that everybody (laughs) doesn't treat you fairly. That uh, there's uh, there are times when businesses just uh, try to take advantage of their consumers, and I think about that all the time.
0: That's a great story. I can't believe uh, all the years. Have we ever time you ever told me that story? I, I don't heard.
2: think so. I, I still have a few secrets, Nick, left over for the oh. the good years. But okay. no. all right,
0: good. And I'm going to get them all. Was, I'm going to get them all out of you, though. I'm telling you right my now. My
2: father, who was a pharmacist. Uh, an independent uh, pharmacist, he ran King of Prussia Pharmacy back on 202, back when King of Prussia was like a little two-lane highway kind of town with all farms around and everything. He always taught us that the customer was always right. And You know, I've learned the reality is the customer isn't always right. Uh, It's nice to try to treat them that way. But there are a lot of people that try to uh, beat the system or cheat companies just as much as companies try to rip off people. And uh, so, uh, you know, I understand uh, some attitude about pushback for some things. I mean, I think the goal should be to try to treat every customer fairly. But I think customers have to treat the businesses fairly. And when I see these complaint letters, you know, like I missed my flight. And I would like you to pay for therapy for 20 years. And my kid <laughs> missed his bar mitzvah party. So you should pay for the bar mitzvah. You know, sometimes they get right. a little bit out of hand. So I think right. we have to be fair with each other on both sides, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, you're a good man, Herb. That's a great story. Uh, thank you right, for sharing. Right, I appreciate right. that. Okay. Well, Herb helps people oh. out. And you know why? Because of that damn Plymouth Plymouth. That's why. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> well, you were uh, you had, or jet a little bit jet lagged, as you said before, because you were in Cincinnati um at a thing called life smarts which was a yes. conference of uh, explain what life smarts is why you were in cincinnati and uh, it's you know the description that you sent to me and some and the link that you sent to me sounds like you might have had a lot of fun so tell us an, about tell us yeah. about it
2: i had an enormous amount of fun by the way last night i flew over chicago so i don't know if you saw me waving i did you. i saw you
0: i said hey how you doing you used to have a plymouth plymouth
2: right, <laughs> right. that's right <laughs> my first time actually in cincinnati i was at the airport once but i and it's but the downtown is really nice. We had a very yeah. good time there. Life Smart is a competition. It's like the old GE College Bowl, you know, buzzers and the whole routine. Oh, yeah. Where, where the kids are competing for cash prizes and scholarships. And 42 teams played this year. It's the biggest One we ever had. This is sponsored by the National Consumers League. And so kids competed in state championships and online competition across the country. They all came together in Cincinnati, uh, started on Thursday, and they had all kinds of different competition. There were categories for designing t shirts and consumer memes and then there was the buzzer rounds and the whole thing and i was the national quiz master so i was may he rest in peace and i love him i was the alex trebek
1: for this
2: event the kids are wonderful they're fun they're clever they're smart they're Great comp- competitors, and they're also wonderful sports. If they lose, they jump right over and congratulate the other team. Uh, moms and dads are on some uh, you know, baseball teams watching their kids play, could learn from these kids. They're really, really great sports. Yeah. And uh, so it came down uh, to Hawaii, the team that came the furthest. They came the furthest. I was the second furthest from uh, Seattle, but they won and took the trophy home. They were an amazing team. And it was just uh, it was just fun. And these kids have to know so much about various different categories uh, of the consumer field. And, you know, the clock is ticking and they're trying to outbuzz the other team. And it's just wonderful. If you want to watch it, the competition is on the website. I think they put it up or will be up soon. Lifesmarts.org. And this is now starting again for next year. It'll be in it'll be in San Diego in April so if you're a teacher or a parent who homeschools or kids in, in uh, your uh, high school years and want to find out more about it, the competition starts during the year. Go to Lifesmarts.org and try to find out about it because it's really a great way. And some of these kids, you know, walked home with a $1,000 or more in scholarship money. So it was really a great competition.
0: And these are high school age kids, so like 13 yeah. to 17, something like yeah. that, 13 to 18, something like that? Yeah,
2: something like that. And it's funny because one of the questions dealt with tinnitus, you know, the ringing in the ears. yeah. And so they I was trying to explain it to him when the the answer was done. I said, you know, it's like if you go to a Bruce Springsteen concert and you can't hear. And there were sort of like these stares and the teacher from the back yells, they don't know who you're talking about, Herb. (laughs) So I said, it's like if you went to a concert for the weekend. Or little anybody, just put a yeah. name after that, you know, you're little right. stuff, on it. Right.
0: and then they go, oh yeah, now
2: we know what you're now talking gotta, about.
0: Bruce Spring, oh, that makes me feel really bad.
2: I didn't even good. want to bring up the Beatles because if they didn't know who the Beatles were, I was. If they talk- didn't know
0: Springsteen, I mean, they're yeah. not going to know the Beatles. Wow. Uh, and so, can you give me, you know, because I every time I watch a game show or something, and it involves like you know the you know like the the college age kids or the mm-hmm. teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, I always feel like an idiot because I'm like, how the hell do they know the answers? Can you give me a few examples of some of the questions that you had to ask? I mean, like these kids, you know, do you remember any of the questions? Were, they, were you surprised that these kids knew some of these questions that were like, how the hell did they know the answers yeah. to this?
2: Well, they've been—you know—the two teams that c- came down to the semifinals. They didn't go to the the dance and the ice cream social at night. They stayed up in the room studying because there are materials, and we linked them to stuff to teach them what they know. Yeah, but like- by the way,
0: by the way, Herb, you yeah. just dated yourself by saying dance and ice cream social. <laughs> I just want you—they
2: <laughs> don't have those anymore either. Uh, I just want you to. <laughs> Well, it wasn't a prom. I don't know. What, I don't know what you would call it. But. <laughs> By the way, a fabulous ice cream company in, in Cincinnati, Graders. Boy, we had Graders ice cream. and It was great. Let me tell you. All right. um, well, well, like which which gives which of these gives you the most consumer protection, a credit card, a debit card, a peer, to peer app. So there's some things like that, which the mm-hmm. answer is a credit card, yeah. um, which uh, which countries on Earth. Uh, create the most uh, g- uh gases that create uh, climate change, and I believe it was uh, uh, china India, and I think the United States was number three so I think that you know that kind of thing yeah. uh, so all um they needed to know technology stuff you know what's the difference between an m p three and an m p four Uh, You know, what's 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 that kind of thing? I mean, it was all over the map with the safety kind of thing. What is the first thing you would do if you found out that your brother had swallowed some poison? And the instinct for a lot of kids was to say, call nine one one. And the correct answer was cause, call the poison control center because mm. if you call 911, it's going to slow you down because they're going to have to transfer you. So yeah, you want Unless, of,
0: unless of course, you hate your brother. That's all oh, right.
2: Yeah. Or you don't know the number. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And I mean, Nick, they take this so seriously. They had all, every competition had five judges in different consumer areas. Wow. I mean, and then I'm I'm facing the audience and there was a little problem with the scorekeeper and he got one of the scores wrong. It was up on the big screen. And I'm starting to read the question and I hear from behind my back. No, wait, oh it's like, what did I turn on? What did I do wrong? No, 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 not you, the scorekeeper. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. it was a great time and, and we I love those kids. I've done it for and it's 30 years next year, and I think I've done it for 24, 25 wow, of the years. I look great. forward to it. So next year I will be in San Diego. I'll and, tell you that. And right
0: is now. it in different cities every year? You said San Diego yes. this or San Diego next year, this year Cincinnati, and they travel around every year, different place.
2: Yes, different place every year. It's been in Chicago. It's been in Philadelphia. It's been in Seattle. Uh, Boston, I think, uh, I'm pushing for Hawaii, but that's a little expensive because the, <laughs> the kids have to pay their own way to get to these places. So oh. it's amazing how you know, this they get some help from this. And a lot of their coaches and sponsors are volunteers. It's an absolutely wonderful project. And, and I hope uh, some of your listeners, if you have grandparents or parents or teachers or homeschool, we have some homeschool teams. Check it out and take part. Even if you don't win, you get to explore the city. You get to meet kids of other cultures. You know, some of these kids that came from rural places, you know, in in Alabama or uh, uh, Texas or, or something like that. And some of them haven't seen people of other cultures or ethnic backgrounds or whatever, probably. And it's this big, gigantic mix. And we put two teams together, sister teams, and uh, they get to spend, hang out with the kids and do things and see the area. So they learn a lot uh, of whether they they come home and win or not. And a lot of them get, a lot of them, um, it gives you confidence because you're up there pushing a bus, but you know, buzzer and answering. So a lot of kids grow a lot of confidence. And then we have the alumni who come back. And I met these twins who were my judges, and uh, they came back, and they're now in medical school. They want to be doctors, and it was so. And I remember them because they were such great kids, and yeah. so it was great to see them. So cool. I, as we would say, I'm quelling. What could I tell oh, you? I just,
0: very cool. All I, right, well, I, welcome back. I'm glad that the uh, uh, you know that you had a great time, and, and I hope that the jet lag doesn't last too long. By the way, that's uh, Lifesmarts.org. Make sure you check it out, Lifesmarts. Smart thank you, All right. Very cool. All right. Um, so we mentioned your Plymouth Plymouth and you didn't have to pay. <laughs> uh, you didn't have to pay an exorbitant amount of, uh, of money for that car, I would imagine. But now you do. You see how I'm segwaying? I'm, yeah, I'm no, perfect. dad
2: gave me that car, by the way. So.
0: Oh, OK. Well, you see how I'm segueing from that? Yes, thank you know? you, yes. yeah, I'm very good at that. I've, I've got Lord. a couple of I got a couple of awards sitting on my coffee table gathering dust right now because of stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you talk yeah. about car prices and how uh, they continue to go up and what's going on uh, in that in that regard. So tell me a little bit about what's going on in the world of car prices.
2: Well, this is sort of a follow-up about what we talked about last year. Remember, we talked about this, and we kept saying, the experts say, wait till 2023, and everything's going to get better. I just put off till 2023. So I decided to do a follow-up, and things have gotten better since when we talked uh, early in 2022. Inventory is up. It's not quite as crazy as it used to be. You'll find more on the lots. Uh, but at the same time, Uh, You know, prices are still really, really high and uh, interest rates are really high. And that's giving people, whether they're buying a new car or a used car, a lot of problems because some people are holding on to their cars longer. The inventory in the used car market isn't what they what it used to be. Uh, We spoke about people buying their cars at the end of the lease. So uh, those cars aren't going back in the used car market. So it's still not back to normal. We're getting better, uh, but we're, we're really nowhere near the the normal. And maybe this is the new normal. I don't know that we, that we were expecting to be. Um, so here's a quote. I spoke to Jessica Caldwell, and she's executive director of Insights at Edmunds, you know, the big car website. They do prices and all that kind of thing. And she said, Nick, New vehicle purchases are growing increasingly out of reach for consumers, and as interest rates continue to skyrocket, skyrocket. In fact, her words: "It's shocking how few vehicles are purchased at quote affordable prices these days." So, you want? To, are you ready for the prices? You sitting down?
0: I am sitting down. Yeah.
2: The average transaction price, so that's the price you pay after dealer discounts or markups for a new vehicle sold in March, that's the last month we have figures for, according to Edmunds, was $47,713. I could buy a lot of Plymouth Plymouths for $47,713. <laughs> By comparison, in 2018, the average transaction price was 35794 seven ninety four. That's an increase of 30 Three percent in five years—that's way ahead of where inflation has been.
0: Yeah, and there are a lot of reasons for that, right? I mean, uh, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, everybody took a hit during COVID. Yeah, uh, all businesses did, including the car business, and uh, and then you know the whole like computer chip thing and uh, production and, and, problems, yeah, and, uh, production problems and all that's all that stuff. It's all added to the to the reason why these prices have, have skyrocketed.
2: But the other reason is that manufacturers during COVID when they didn't have enough chips made a very for them smart business decision. And they decided to give American car buyers what the majority of American car buyers wanted. And what American car buyers wanted are bigger cars with more bells and whistles, more features, more sophisticated safety technology. And those cost more. Those are the higher sticker price vehicles. So again, sales figures from March uh, show the following. a uh, Half the full size trucks and 70% of all luxury midsize SUVs selling for more than $60,000, according to Edmonds. And the average transaction price was $44,000 more or less for non-luxury vehicles, uh, an average of sixty five dollars more or less for luxury models, according to Kelly Blue Book. So you can see that they're giving us what we want to buy because some people are willing to spend it, and they're obviously making a lot more profit on a high-end vehicle than a low-end vehicle, which creates... The opposite problem, which is for people who are trying to spend at the lower end of the price scale, they're finding it harder to find uh, options at the end of the spectrum. So the 20,000 new vehicle, according to Edmonds, is, quote, nearly extinct. That's how they describe it. And the 25,000 new vehicle is next in line. Five years ago, almost a quarter of all cars sold for under twenty five thousand dollars, now it's just four percent. Mm-hmm. So not only are you getting squeezed at the bottom end, but if you want a new vehicle, you have to pay more in most cases, and then you're having a problem. We'll talk about this as well in the used car market. So it really is becoming that affordability issue is really true. It is becoming harder and harder to afford a vehicle.
0: Yeah, and and, and you know, people think that okay, well then, uh, I'm not going to get a new, I'm not going to get a new car. I'm going to Settle because it's it's just too much. There's too much Mm -hmm. hassle, too much money. I'm going to settle for a used car or I'm going to go, I'm going to find a really great used car. But even the used cars are being affected by this.
2: Yeah, uh, because they're struggling to find inventory. That's the problem right now. As I said, those who can't afford the car are holding on to the car. People uh, are holding on to their cars lower. Those who are had coming off of lease because their cars were significantly more than that the uh, final price was set by the manu- the uh, dealer way back when uh, they can get their price for less than they pay for today, so they're buying their vehicles. All that is- inventory is not going in. There's not as many uh, rental cars coming off because the rental car fleets are down, so they're not turning as many of these vehicles into the uh, uh, to the used car market as they used to. So all that. Uh, Combined, uh, we have that the uh, supply of used vehicles is the lowest uh, going back to 2019, according to uh, Cox Automotive, They're the parent company of Kelley Blue Book. Uh, as, as one of the guys there put it, finding the product at the right price is more challenging than ever for buyers. Uh, so the average used car that was sold in March was $26,213, up 145 bucks from February, according to Cox Automotive. That's a lot of money for a used car, 2600 $26,000. That is a lot of money. Uh, and fun. the other thing people are doing, and it's probably a smart move, is if you have a vehicle that's in decent shape. I mean, you and you and I have talked about this before, that they've been building cars much better in the last 10 years or so. And you can afford, it, it's cheaper in many cases. If it's only some minor repair work you need, it would probably be cheaper to repair the vehicle, get some tune-up work to get some things done and get a few things fixed. Maybe even for a couple of thousand dollars, it'll keep that car running for a maybe a year or more uh, than rather than dive into the used car market right now where it's so expensive. And especially, you know, with the interest rates, the interest rates are just staggering right now for both new cars and used cars, which is really setting people back. You know, they show up and talk about sticker price. That's the real sticker price, how much you're paying for interest.
0: Mm. And uh, you, you do mention in the article how uh, how you guys can help how checkbooks. They have the, the car bargain service. Uh, checkbook has that if you if people are in the market, they want to get a car. They need some help. Obviously, there's there's a lot of a lot of questions and a lot of money being dropped here. Uh, how can checkbook.org help?
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, we uh, we run the car bargain service. It's been around since 1991. And uh, we believe we've helped more than 100000 people score the lowest price on cars. What happens is that you you contact checkbook, you get it down to the make and model, whatever you want. We help you find that out. You car bargains. And then they send out emails to dealers that are in the network and you tell them how far so when i bought my car i i wanted to test it out and i asked them if they would do it for me and they said yes because i i was interested and um they sent i said 50 mile radius you know 50 75 radius within the seattle area so they send out an email to the car dealers and basically it's saying we got a live one on the line you know somebody who wants to buy a car give us your best price that's it one shot we're not coming back to you like we want your bottom line best price right now. And then they take the best price, find out which is the best, send it to you, the consumer who's working with them. Uh, when I did this, they t- I knew exactly the model I was talking about and the uh, from the dealer I went and the VIN number. So it wasn't like, you know, switcheroo or anything like that. I knew exactly what vehicle I was getting, what features it had in it, what I wanted, etc. And then you go and pick up the uh, vehicle from the Average car bargains estimates that we beat two cars, the one you hear about all the time, average cost by nearly $1,600 per vehicle. It's really simple. They hold your hand all the way. Um, I, I, uh, they beat, uh, they beat uh, Costco's price, which is a really darn good price. They beat Costco's price by $1,000, which was pretty amazing. And I had to go to Bremerton, Washington, which is a little ferry boat ride from Seattle. So we took a ferry boat ride we got uh, a credibly lower price a thousand bucks lower than costco could offer you know costco price you walk in boom there's the pre-negotiated price for costco members and it was in a it was in a county with lower tax so i saved on tax and then when it came to the uh the trade-in i haven't traded in a vehicle and i can't remember how long it's been and i because of i'm on the radio and everything i don't want somebody like coming to my house to sell it by myself i just i don't do it that way i give it to the dealer so The guy at Car Bargain said to me, you know, before you go to the dealer, take your vehicle to CarMax. They will give you an estimate on the vehicle, and they'll give you a document. They'll give you a thing that says this is a binding uh, guaranteed price for seven days. So I did that. I took the car to the dealer. We were all done. I mean, it was no must, no fuss. Here's the bottom line. Yep, but we agreed to. Thank you very much. Now, let's talk about the trade-in. They looked at the car. They said they were going to give me, I think it was $1,000 for the vehicle. And I said, you know, it's a, that's about as high as most dealers would give. But I got this thing here from CarMax, and it says they'll give me $1,500. I'd be kind of stupid to leave $500 on the table, wouldn't I? And they mm-hmm. go, uh, yeah, you would. Uh, can you hold on a second? They went back to the uh, used car manager, and the, and the salesperson said, you know, we need inventory. We'll match the price. Will you sell it to us if we match the price? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to drive two cars home. So they match the price that comes off the sales price, you know, so you pay less sales tax, which is a really smart move to do that when you when you sell it back to the dealer. And uh, it was a great experience. The only thing I had to do was go into the finance and uh, make it really clear only once uh, that I wasn't buying the uh, service contract uh, because that's why I bought a Toyota Camry with a great repair record. and I didn't need yeah, that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, and I walked home and that was it. And it was a really wonderful experience. So for people who figure that, you know, they're getting taken advantage of by car dealers or who realize that they do this for a living eight hours a day and we do it once every 10 years or something, this is a really great way to sort of put the odds in your favor a bit. There's no obligation to... We can't find you a vehicle. I believe they give you your money back. So it's 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 really worth a try. Car bargains uh, from checkbook.org. There you go. And it, there is a cost. I should mention that it's all on the website. It's uh, 250 uh, or $225 for your checkbook subscriber if you want to lease, and 375 or 340 for checkbook subscribers. But again, they'll save you money. I, I You can take that from me, the consumer man.
0: Okay. All right. Checkbook.org for all that information. Uh, so we go from cars to homes. <laughs> um yes. and uh you know it's it's interesting because you know when you think home warranty you think that's a good thing to have but yes. in fact it's not uh and 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 you guys for years have been saying to consumers that you should not buy home warranties for people who might not know what a home warranty is why shouldn't they get them and what's the story behind that
2: sure home warranties are something that are sold as sort of give you peace of mind to protect you if something with your house goes wrong or an appliance in your house goes wrong. And the, the pitch is that, you know, you pay us so much a year and basically they're 500 to to $1,000 a year, but we can save you thousands of dollars in potential repair bills if something goes wrong. And, and some of them even say we'll replace an appliance. If a, a refrigerator goes or a washing machine or something like that, we will replace that for you. But checkbook and you're right. This is one of the few things where my boss, Kevin Brastrow, the executive editor, said when I'm asked about this, I, people say, well, is there a good one to get? And we say, no, as far as we know, avoid them all. These are not a good buy. These are not a good deal. This is not something that a homeowner wants. In his words, they're typically lousy deals for most buyers. And there are many reasons why we'll talk about, but they're costly. Uh, if you think about how much, you know, you're putting out the five hundred to a thousand dollars. They typically don't fully cover the most expensive problems that you're going to have. Remember, if you get like life insurance, you may have to get a physical or somebody needs to think about your your condition. If you get a a, a homeowner insurance policy, a home insurance policy, they're going to know about your house and the risks involved. They're giving these policies without any kind of underwriting. What you know, they don't know is that refrigerator. You haven't been taking care of it or it's on its last legs. So they try to price out the things as a business model that would cost them a lot of money. And those are the things that would cost you a lot of money. So they've sort of put that in their contract that they don't cover for a lot of things. So it, when things do go wrong, it may not be covered. They dispatch third-party repair companies that are beholding to the warranty companies, not you, the repair company works for the warranty company, not you. You don't get to pick, the repair company—that's our biggest concern. So you get—you don't get to pick who comes and services your refrigerator or your or your dry cleaner, dry washer, dryer, or whatever it is. They pick one of their companies, and while they're at your house, they're beholden to the warranty company. So you know, if they want to look better to their boss, they're going to try to hold down the price. And we've heard from people thousands and thousands of complaints to consumer agencies that the work, the work is lousy. It takes them many, many times to fix it. Uh, sometimes they break it or make things worse than when they first showed up at the door. And in almost every case that we've seen, if they do that, the warranty company will not cover it. So if they come in and break your refrigerator, just need a repair or rewire something wrong in your house and your house burns down, the warranty company is not responsible for any of those problems. That would be between you and your homeowner's insurance. Uh, so it doesn't really give you the peace of mind that, that people uh, are, are really thinking they do. We contacted uh, a bunch of the top rated uh, companies in various areas that are highly rated by checkbook for various things. And not a single one of them told us that they work with a home warranty company. And when we asked them why, the answer was basically the same in every case: we just don't want to deal with the hassles. It's like that, you know. They, we're trying to do good service, take care of the people, and these companies—that's not what they're in. They're like, get in, get out, quick, quick fix, and uh, we just don't want to be associated with that. It would ruin our reputation. So that sort of speaks for itself as well.
0: Yeah, and this is—you I mean, know—these home warranty companies have been around for a really long year. How, how have they been getting, getting away with this for such a long time? If it's, you know,
2: well, they've been sued, um, by various, uh, regulatory agencies and pay a fine. Uh, some of them, um, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of, there, there are starting to be lawsuits now. If you look around, there are complaints, you know, all over the web and there are complaints at the Better Business Bureau and all that sort of thing. I don't think people do a lot of research uh, about these. In some cases, the sales pitch is really good. I mean, they have really, really good advertising about how, you know, look at, we're going to save you a fortune and take care of things. Um, also, a lot of times these are pushed or sold by the realtor, and you got to remember that they're getting a... A commission for doing this so of course they want you to to buy this service it sounds like you know I just signed my life away for a million dollars excuse me um well make a lot of sense to only pay only pay a thousand dollars more you know it seems like it makes a lot of sense and again buying that peace of mind but it just doesn't work out that way a couple of other things that people may not realize is that um there's almost always a uh a, a co-pay a charge when they show up at your house, you know, maybe $75 to $150. So every time that service person walks in the house, you are paying that on top of the 500 to to $1,000 you paid. And you'll pay that even if they don't fix the problem. That That comes out right away. Uh, and then there's also a whole lot of limits that are in the uh, in the fine print. Our guys read through the fine print, the, red, uh, the uh, brochures and the websites that uh, look about the information and found out that many of the important limitations are really buried deep in the terms and conditions. In some cases, we couldn't even find the actual contracts on their website to review. So you'd be signing up for a product or service that you couldn't even, before making the purchase, you couldn't even tell what they were doing for you, which is a really bad thing. Uh, and then, if, for instance, we found that one of the really big companies, uh, HomeShield, American HomeShield, uh, they said that the reimbursement for HVAC equipment repairs or replacements was $1,500. Well, if you need a, a new furnace, $1,500 is not a lot of money, uh, but that's, that's the limit. They talk about, oh, you know, the peace of mind, but that's a limit. Same applies for a leaky roof. $1,500 is not a lot of money for a leaky roof. And um, Select, which is another big one, their limit for electrical, plumbing, and appliance repairs is $500. Again, I mean, they they talk about how they're going to protect you and give you peace of mind, but if you read the fine print, which we did, it's really limited in many, many cases. But Kevin says, our our executive editor, he says the big thing in his mind is that you have no control whatsoever which company, who's walking in your house to do the repair work. And that's the whole idea of Checkbook, is you want to pick the good... You know, you'd be better saving, putting a little bit of money aside and using the checkbook ratings if you live in a checkbook city and finding out what the good plumber or electrician or repair person is as opposed to doing this thing because chances are, based on complaints, you may be very dissatisfied with what you get.
0: Okay. Make sure you check out that article about the uh, home warranty, it's all at uh, checkbook.org. Yeah, And Um, also
2: it's on my website, consumerman.com. You have the link to the free article. It's a free article. And then also the podcast where Kevin goes into great detail uh, about why he does not like uh, the Consumerpedia podcast and why he does not like home warranties. At the end, I thanked him and he said, I don't know if you want to thank me. It sounded more like a rant than an interview, but he is very passionate about why he does not want people to get hurt with home warranties.
0: Okay. Make sure you check that out too. Uh, so we 've all got subscriptions to 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 things on our on our phones and 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 sometimes we forget about them um, and uh, you guys uh, wrote an article you wrote this article uh, Her, mm-hmm. about the Federal Trade Commission and how they are trying to update the rules on how you can get rid of unwanted subscriptions to make it easier to do so because a lot of people are paying for things each month that they 've totally forgot about or they haven 't used. And some people don't like my, I get an, I get an up, you know, I get like a a notice on my phone that says, Hey, you haven't used these apps in a while. Mm -hmm. You might, you might want to get rid of them or blah, blah, blah. So I happen to have that luxury of like being reminded that I have subscriptions to things that I haven't used in a long time. And maybe I should get rid of them, but not everybody has that. And the FTC is going to try to make it easier to get rid of those unwanted subscriptions you wrote all about it tell me a little bit about that because this is a pain in the neck for a lot of people
2: yes and you know nick it's not just app subscriptions i mean there are streaming subscriptions there are gaming subscriptions there are people get boxes sent to them cosmetics or pet food or whatever subscriptions we we're living in a subscription world you and i talked about this before this is the new business model now companies want you to be a subscriber because number one A lot of people who subscribe don't ever unsubscribe subscribers may pay more and they got a guaranteed stream of income so this is the world we're moving into is we're already there with subscriptions and it's going to get only stronger companies are going to push this even more Uh, we talked about one thing where you had to be a subscriber to get some features in your car that they were built into your automobile but you only got these advanced features if you subscribed to the manufacturer's subscription service so this is clearly uh, something that is uh, the time has arrived for some consumer protections I started the story with a question, and I'll start the interview with you. It's the same thing. Wouldn't it be nice if every company made it as easy to cancel a subscription as it was to sign up? Wouldn't it be nice? Course, and, that's what, it and that's what the Federal Trade Commission is saying. It is saying that they want to have a provision called click to cancel. The goal is to eliminate the frequent hassles involved when ending unwanted subscription payments for everything, as I said, from streaming services, cosmetics, gym memberships. That's a really big problem area and the uh, delivery of, of pet products. And what happens is sometimes these companies just don't play fair. They trick you into signing up for the subscription, which we can talk about more later, or they make it difficult for you to cancel the subscription if you want to end it. And if you want to end it, you have the right. You should be able to cancel very easily. So what they're basically saying is it has to be as easy to cancel as it was to subscribe. So, if you subscribed online, you should be able to cancel online with the same amount of clicks and the same amount of pages you had to go to in order to subscribe. A lot of companies as you may know, right on the right on the web homepage subscribe and then to cancel you got to look on the tree and cancel here, go to our you know, go to a menu at the bottom. No, no, no. Here's how I subscribe. I use the same procedure to cancel. It's fair one way. It's fair the other way. The same thing would be with other ways you subscribe. If you subscribed on the phone, you would have to unsubscribe on the phone the same way. They couldn't give you a number that's never answered, a number that only works a limited amount of hours, a number where they didn't have enough people to take the calls and deal with it. A separ- you would have to be able to cancel the exact same way. I think that's a great rule, and I think it's fair to, bus- to uh, honest businesses would have no problem with that, and, and I hope this thing goes through because it really, to me, makes a lot of sense.
0: What's the time frame on this? What are they looking to, to, to get this to go through?
2: Well, they, made, they issued, a, they issued a, a proposal of rulemaking back in uh, March, and uh, they take feedback for so long, they can sometimes extend this thing if they're getting a lot of comments from people. Uh, so there's no guarantee, but it's hopefully within a year's time, the rule should come out. Uh, and they've clearly put the industry on notice that this is the, the direction where they're heading. So hopefully more businesses, a lot of times they try to get ahead of the rulemaking, will do this sort of thing. But I think we hopefully we'll see this thing sometime if if it all goes as, as planned in the next year or so. Um, it would also do two other things that I think is really cool. And that is, have you ever tried to call and cancel on the phone? And they'll go, yeah, Mr. Julio, that's really good. But before you cancel, we got a even better option for you. So why don't you look at this, right? They give you a sales pitch when you're calling cancel. Yeah. Well, the new rule would say that they, they are allowed to make a pitch of additional offers or modifications or whatever. But if you say at any time, no, I don't want to hear this. I'm calling to subscribe. Stops and they must immediately start the cancellation process. It's like if you're being interrogated by the cops and you say I want a lawyer, they've got to stop. If you say no, I want to end my subscription, they got to stop the pitch and they got to start the process of unsubscribing you. And the last one is and you talked about this with your apps, but again, it's not the case in every case is that they would be required to provide you with an annual reminder if you're in a negative option program. So in other words, uh, if it automatically renews unless you uh Cancel the subscription before the subscriptions are automatically renewed, except in the case of physical goods. I mean, if you're getting a box of pet food or a box of cosmetics every month, right. you know your subscription is on. they're ongoing, but and and good companies would do that anyway. But you, they would have to give you this reminder. I try to encourage people when I sign up, I put it in my Outlook and my calendar. The one-year renewal period is right here. Decide what you want to do. Some of the good companies do send you notices. But this, again, will just put in a, a, a level playing field. Their computer automatically saved when you signed up. You might not do that. This puts you on the same playing field of it's time to make a decision. The subscription is yeah. up. Do you want to keep it or do you want to cancel it? I think those are three really good proposals, Absolutely. and I really hope it makes it.
0: And I, and I will say this. I, I am with Verizon is my company uh, mm-hmm. that, I, that I use, and they do a scan on my phone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, yeah. they scan my phone to like a device thing. And then they give me the results of that and say, hey, you you should clear this up and blah, blah, blah. We found a little thing here. And it's really helpful. It's very helpful. I mean, maybe some malware got loose or something. You know, you clicked onto something that you shouldn't have clicked onto, and they will let you know that when they scan your device. And yep. whenever they do that, whenever they give me the report on the device scan, Verizon also says, hey, you haven't used this subscription you haven't mm-hmm. used this app. You haven't used this streaming service in a long time. You might want to cancel. And mm-hmm. I'm telling you, that's invaluable. That is yes. a really great thing. And I'm I'm thrilled that Verizon offers that.
2: That's a sign of a good company. Another Seattle startup, you know, that started here in yeah, Seattle. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: And uh, yeah, that's really good. By the way, I should point out, and and any companies listening, the FTC has gone after some companies that have done some really smarmy kind of things with not being able to cancel a subscription under current regulations. They just want to like really make it clear and stand out, and no confusion, not have to go to such hassles of trying to prove that this was deceptive. Like you, you right here, you violated our new rule. But they went against. Uh, they went after Vonage. And uh, that's the uh, Internet Protocol uh, telephone company, big company, big name. So in November of 22, they had uh, reached a settlement with Vonage. Uh, They said the company was creating obstacles to those who tried to cancel their service. And they claimed, and this is a quote, that Vonage forced consumers to cancel only by speaking to a live retention agent on the telephone. So you could sign up online, but the only way you could cancel was to to talk to somebody on the phone and – and I think we all
0: know and we all know how difficult to impossible it is yes. to get a live person on the phone for any company.
2: Yes. And, and on top of this, the FTC said they had reduced hours. Uh, they didn't provide the promised callbacks. If you push the button and said, we'll call you back, they transferred you a whole bunch of times. So listen to this. Vonage agreed to settle the case by changing its business practices and refunding $100 million to customers harmed by its actions. I think that sends a pretty strong message that the FTC is not going to put up with this kind of stuff anymore hundred million dollars. So, and the other thing, I mean, there were a couple of companies Nick they went after that told you that you a had a, you had to come and cancel in person. And, uh, and number two, you had, or you had to send a certified letter. I mean, I I didn't have to join with a certified letter, you know? So that's the kind of thing they're trying to stop. Um, there's two other points i like to make. First of all, this is a tip from Herb, the consumer man. Uh, if you, from complaints I've heard, If you sign up for an ongoing subscription, always do it with a credit card because a credit card gives you the most consumer protection. Don't do a debit card that lets them go into your bank account. And don't do automatic withdrawal. A lot of gyms say, oh, we'll make it real easy for you. We'll just take the money out of your checking account every month. Give us that permission to do that. Uh, I've heard from way too many people who've had a gym membership. They've canceled. They've canceled and the money keeps coming out for a couple of months. So you're fighting the gym to stop those withdrawals while that money's coming out of your checking account that you need to pay the rent or the mortgage or whatever. So I don't. Don't give people access to that kind of withdrawal and don't give them to your debit card. If you have a problem with a credit card and they keep charging you after the fact, you call the credit card company and you say, I canceled the service. I want this charge taken off my account and they'll take care of you. So that's herb tip number one. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing is, this is part of a broader look at negative option sales. So that's in many cases, like and the big problem area here is free trial offers. We've talked about it before, but it's worth mentioning again. Get a free trial of our uh fat-busting pill, get a free trial of our super energy pill, get a free trial of our teeth whitening toothpaste or whatever, and all you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. And in order to get the, to do the shipping and handling, you've got to give them your credit card or debit card number. So what happens is in the fine print, or it's not there at all, the company says by agreeing to this thing that you have agreed that you will get a subscription, you, an ongoing subscription every 30 days, we're going to send you another one of our products, and you're going to pay this amount of money for it. And what happens is you didn't see that, or in some cases you have to cancel within 14 days after, getting, uh, after signing up, and the product doesn't come for 22 days. makes it a little inconvenient to do that. And they keep charging you and charging you for this product, a big problem area. If you have it on a credit card, again, you can dispute this with a credit card. So that's how they do it, Nick. That's why they ask for shipping and handling charge. They've got your payment information already there. So the bad guys, the real criminals in the world just start charging you whether you agreed to it or not. The slimy companies they have it like hidden and you're, you're being right. paid you pay for it whether you know you didn't see it but in either case you shouldn't be paying for something you don't realize or didn't ask for credit card you can deal with it it's gonna be a big hassle dealing with it if it's a debit card or, or, or something like that so always do that but my advice is if it's if it's a free product you really really want from a known reputable company, maybe if it's a free product, of some ridiculous claim, the belly fat's going to go away, you know, you're know you going to be better in bed, you're going to be able to lift your house because you're going to be so strong, your teeth you know, will d- dazzle the neighbors in three days, and you have to give them a payment option, don't do it, don't get into the hassles, don't get into the problems, there's too many con artists doing it. It's not worth it for a tube of toothpaste. Trust me, just go buy a tube of toothpaste or something. It's only right. if it's a really reputable company that you know you've dealt with because you're giving them your payment information, right. and you're probably giving it to a crook.
0: Right. And by the way, I like the fact that in the article, the FTC promises "quote unquote" aggressive enforcement. I I like that. That's a that's a that's a good that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, we from one of my Consumerpedia podcasts. It's just down on the stack a little bit. If you go to consumerpedia.org, we got to talk to Sam Levine, who was the uh, he runs the consumer protection division. And this guy, I mean, this guy's no nonsense. He is like, I'm not anti-business, but I am definitely against fraud and everybody's got to play fair. And that's why we're here. We're the cop in the marketplace and the, the days of letting you slide, uh, in previous administrations is gone. And it's like, you know, you can make money and be, and by the way, uh, companies that cut corners or are scammers, uh, you hurt legitimate businesses and legitimate businesses. You will want us to do this too, because you don't want to compete against a company that uses false advertising or fake testimonials or bogus customer reviews. That's not fair to you either. So a fair marketplace is good for both consumers and for businesses. And we sometimes forget that.
0: Okay. All right. Well, Herb always, uh, always a pleasure. What are you working on uh, next? What, 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 what can we look forward to, uh, In uh, at 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 checkbook.org and at consumerman.com.
2: Well, coming up next on Consumerpedia, which we'll talk about next time, travel tips. I got to talk to Christopher Elliott. I don't know who he if you know who he is. He's the travel expert. He does a syndicated column on travel. I caught up with him in New Zealand. So, uh, And we're going to talk about some things people need to know about uh, passports, a lot of passport problems uh, traveling this year for people going overseas. That will be up on checkbook.org or my website, consumerman.com, very shortly. And then uh, we're also going to talk about EVs, and we'll talk about that next time. All the rules are out now for which cars actually get the tax credits and what's going on so we're going to take a close-up look we're going to talk to consumer reports and we're going to talk to edmunds about the deals and how much they cost and do the batteries really last and everything you want to know about evs so we're going to be talking to you about that uh next time
0: okay great and
2: before we go should i give the free link because you know yes, you want please. To give-
0: give, yes. Do, do, do the free link just for my subscribers please yes do.
2: and you can tell because it's in the link so if you want a 30-day free trial subscription to checkbook if you live in these cities chicago minneapolis st paul Seattle, San Francisco, Boston, Philly, or Washington, D.C., so you can get the ratings for the services in your area. Just go to checkbook.org slash nickdpodcast, checkbook.org slash nickdpodcast. All the other information we post and all the other information on my website, consumerman.com, are free to everyone, so please feel free to share it. But if you want the ratings, checkbook.org slash nickdpodcast, the only podcast you'll ever need.
0: Oh, look at that. All right. All right, Herb. Thank you, my friend. And we will talk to you uh, next month.
2: Be well, Nick. Take care. Okay,
0: buddy. See you later. There's uh, Herb Weisbaum. He is your consumer man. And now your car guy, that's Tom Appel. And he's about to join us right now. Tom Appel. We're going to talk
1: about Costa!
0: Tom Appel. Ooh,
1: automotive. With
0: Tom. And his last name, Appel. Oh. It's the czar of car. The sultan of cylinder. Tom that's right, the Sultan of Cylinder. <laughs> ah, you gotta love that. You do. The Czar of Car. Editor uh, is Tom Appel. Tom Appel, who you can check out, Consumer Guide Automotive. He's the publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Uh, been helping people out in the world of cars and automobiles uh, forever, and has been a regular part of my old show at the car wash, and since the very beginning of this podcast over a year and a half ago. And uh, it is Tom Appel. Hi, Tom. Hey. How are you, buddy?
1: I am good. I am good. good. Thank you. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Always good to see.
1: Always good to hear you. Um,
0: Tell everybody about where they can hear your podcast as part of Consumer Guide Automotive.
1: Yeah, two places. You can download it any place. Uh, Apple's a good place. And leave it a review there is a great idea. Uh, But you can also stream it from consumerguide.com right there on the homepage. Uh, New episodes every Tuesday morning.
0: Right. And it's a terrific uh, podcast. You don't Thank have you. to be you don't have to be a maniac car lover to listen to it. You can just be like, look, I haven't driven in many, many years. Not only have I uh, legally, as I always like to say, I haven't driven in many years <laughs> legally. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I always like to say that, you know, like I love listening to it. And I was absolutely thrilled to be a, uh, a guest on that podcast. And I would it was uh, awesome to have you. It was great to be there. And I would love to come back at some point uh, to, to, to hang out again. It was just so much fun we will so, make that happen. Awesome. So that's uh you check out that podcast right there. Uh and uh and Tom, you've been uh, you've been in the in the world of uh of helping people out in 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 car now, how long has the consumer guide automotive been around? Remind everybody.
1: Consumer Guide Automotive has been around since 1967. I uh, I came on board in 2002.
0: Mm, okay. And I was going to say 1967 you would be 2 years old, so you weren't I was young. Company. I was yeah, very you were, young. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What kind of car were you driving in 1967, uh, Tom? If you can
1: remember. <laughs> if I could reach the pedals, I would have been driving my dad's Nova.
0: Uh, yes, the Chevy Nova. Yes, yes. I love that. That's an, it's, God. The no- has the
1: Nova really been around? Was around in the 60s the Nova? Um, it became the Nova as a specific model name in 1969. Before that, it was a version of the Chevy II, but the name goes back to yeah, the mid 60s. Wow. See, and, that, and if
0: people doubt your knowledge of cars, you know, when, <laughs> you know when the goddamn Nova got its name. So that right there proves your cred. Right, right
1: there. I'm the Nova guy. <laughs>
0: and uh, and uh, by, by the way, um, I wonder if anybody, are you coming out on May 16th to our next live Zanies event?
1: I'm bringing a posse, so yes, I'll be there. Oh, awesome.
0: Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm excited. I got three
1: buddies coming. We're all looking forward to it.
0: Oh, that's so great. So that's Tuesday, May 16th, rosemount.zanies.com. Amy Guth is my co-host, because Esmeralda will be blowing all our money in Vegas. Um, (laughs) And Jim Flanagan, who is unbelievably funny, uh, Tom, an unbelievably funny stand-up comedian. He will be our guest. We'll give away some cool stuff and apt electronics and Gale Street dinners and all kinds of cool stuff. And Tom will be there with his posse. All right. My posse, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, all showing up in Novas. I believe you guys are all driving up in Novas. Is
1: that what's happening? Four for Novas, uh, identical mint green.
0: <laughs> dot, uh, Rosemont.Zanies.com on Tuesday, May 16th, if you want to see uh, Tom in a mint mint green Nova. Well, that's not a that's false advertising, but he'll be there. All right. Uh, <laughs> lots of stuff uh, to talk about in the, world yeah. of, uh, in the world of cars, as we always do. What are you driving now? What have you been driving lately? Because you test drive those cars and uh, you love doing it. What, do you, what, what are you in now?
1: I just swapped cars today. So I got out of the Hyundai Santa Fe Calligraphy. Calligraphy oh, is a new We top talked about trim. that. We talked yeah. about that
0: one in the past. Yeah, a
1: yeah, new top trim level. And I'm getting into a new top trim level of the... Buick Enclave, which is Buick's largest crossover. Uh-huh. Uh, I just took that to the 7-Eleven for a Diet Pepsi. Very refined. I'll know more about it when I drive further than the 7-Eleven. Right. But it's a nice vehicle.
0: Yeah. All right. Now, now the calligraphy. Tell me all about that one.
1: Calligraphy is a new top trim level. And one of the things that mainstream automakers are learning is that there are people who won't jump to a premium brand but might want more car than they currently have available from a brand like Hyundai or Kia or Chevy or Ford. So we're seeing more and more of these top trim levels land at different brands. And calligraphy is the new highest level, most expensive version of the Santa Fe. It's very nice. And and for 40, what was it, $46,000, you get a car that is convincingly luxurious for much less than going to a premium brand. I was pretty impressed.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, you have to know it's going to be a fancy car. It's called a calligraphy.
1: I yeah, mean, it's right? a bunch of name. Yeah. What again? What's the full name again? <laughs> it's the Hyundai Santa Hyundai Santa Fe Calligraphy. Why is it so?
0: Is it? Is there twenty seven different names for it? I mean, I,
1: I... I guess I guess because everyone's already used Platinum, they had to go with something like Calligraphy. I see. But uh, yeah, Santa Fe is, is their their midsize crossover, very popular. Yeah. All right. Okay. So and it was and that's
0: a good car. You uh you
1: I like it a lot. Yeah. My review just went live uh this morning.
0: Okay. And uh did you drive anything before? that? cuz it's been a month since we talked to you. Was there anything before you jumped into the calligraphy that you'd like want to mention?
1: Yeah, people might have seen this thing on the road. It was unfortunately launched right at the beginning of the supply chain shortage, but it's the Ford Maverick, which is Ford's new very small pickup truck. It's smaller than the Ranger. It's about the size of of a Ford Escape, uh compact crossover very nice little truck and for less than thirty thousand dollars if you can find one you can enjoy this great little truck it's fun to drive it's zippy it's available in hybrid trim uh it it, it feels a little bit like it's budget you know the interior is not as nice as other cars but fun to drive affordable useful it's it's a great little truck and, and we're probably going to see more of these because there's yeah. a lot of demand for it
0: well sure 30 grand i mean that's not that's that's you know that's not that's that a at all bargain these days yeah absolutely now the Ford Maverick that now that of course brings to mind the Ford Maverick, uh, right. <laughs> of which we've talked about before because my friend had a Ford Maverick that was entirely made of bondo. I think we've discussed this before. <laughs> yes, where his
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> it's not remember, the greatest association. No, it's not. Now you you remember remember when we uh, you know like a, for like a f- two or three appearances, three or four appearances in a row where bondo came up all the time. Yes. Uh, yes. And for people who, just a reminder, of course, for people who might not have heard those uh, those episodes or that uh, those episodes a few months ago, uh, uh, my friend, as I mentioned, ha- had a really shitty—I uh, f- can't remember what year—seventies, some kind of seventies Ford Maverick, uh, which was not uh, a truck. That's uh, the, the no. It
1: was it, actually it was the Ford competition for the Nova. So we're very topical.
0: <laughs> it all it all ties together, man. It, it does. All ties together. Uh, but the Ford. My friend had a really crappy Ford Maverick. Uh, that was now that at one point was almost completely made of bondo. Um, and for people who might not know, quick a quick uh, a quick rundown on what bondo
1: is for people who might not know. Bondo was like plaster of Paris for your car. It was this polymer that you bought as as basically like clay that you applied to the vehicle and you could fill in dents. So you could smooth them out, but people were never really good at this. You were supposed to spackle it in and then sand it down. And the result was supposed to be something like a body panel. But people who who took the advanced course would try to form or fabricate actual missing pieces of the body that had rusted right. through with Bondo. Right. Uh, it was amazing stuff because it was more durable than it should have been. But there are fam- famous cases of people using it on their door, slamming the door, and a whole wad of... <laughs> <laughs> a fake Bondo body panel would just fall to the
0: ground. Well, that would happen, that's what happened to my buddy. I mean, literally, his car, his car, I'm not making, it, I'm not making this up. His, his Maverick was like 70% Bondo at one point. <laughs> and he didn't even bother, like, he didn't even bother, because you, what you're supposed to do is, like, you know, sand it down, like you said, make it all look nice, and yep, then paint, yep. paint over it, paint over yep. it to match. He would At one point, he would paint over it, and then it got to the point where it's like, oh, screw it, I'm not even going to paint over it. So he's just driving around this spotty Bondo mobile. And, um, and you, every once in a while, we, and when we talked about this, God, this was like a year ago when we talked about this, um, we did get a bunch of responses. <laughs> we did get a bunch of responses from people who, were like, yeah, I use Bondo and blah. It's still out there. Bondo it's is still out there.
1: there. Yeah, you could still do it. And there's a lot of non name brand Bondo substitutes. I have no idea if they're any good.
0: Well, why would you call it anything but Bondo? You can't. You, you, wouldn't, you shouldn't. Yeah, you, you can't. But yeah, my friend actually—I uh, remember he was—I I don't know if he was checking his oil at the at the gas station or something, and his hood was up, and he dropped the hood down. He he, he closed the hood, and a piece of the bondo popped off. <laughs> so it's true. I've seen it. I've literally seen it happen. So, but yeah, but the, this this Ford Maverick truck that you were driving around, very very nice, affordable car, has nothing to do with the uh, Ford Maverick.
1: Nothing to do with the Maverick and probably nothing to do with Bondo for at least 25 years.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's not even applicable anymore, right? I mean, yeah, if, if people are buying Bondo, that means they have old cars, right? They'd have to be it.
1: very old, and it would be very hard to apply it to the surfaces that are on new cars because they're yeah. all they're all glazed and shiny and coated, and I don't think it would stick at all.
0: <laughs> Bondo. I don't know why. I just love it. I love I Bondo. Do. I do. My yeah. dad
1: Bondoed our Valiant. I i I'm a bondo survivor. By, by the way, that's not a
0: that's not a euphemism for anything. <laughs> my dad, it my is dad, not. No, it's not. My dad bondoed his valiant. I don't know. I, that sounds a little dirty, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not dirty. All right. <laughs> Hi,
1: Dad. Think, Hi. How are you doing, everybody? Yeah. yeah. What are you
0: doing tonight? I'm going to bondo my valiant. I'm going to. I got. I couldn't get. I couldn't yeah. get a date, so I'm staying home to bondo my valiant. Um, all right. <laughs> All right. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Let's move on. Uh, Hey, electric vehicles. um, Every single time you're on, uh, we talk about it because that's, you know, that's the thing now. It's 2023. But now um, there are electric vehicles that can qualify for like a federal tax credit. So this is a this is this is confusing, I guess. Yes. What's the what's
1: the latest on this? It is incredibly confusing. Back in, I think it was September October, the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, was passed, and included in it was the modified by Joe Manchin um, tax incentive plan. And and the plan basically moved some of the incentive away from consumers and more towards manufacturing. And the results have been pretty positive, actually. A lot of companies have announced that they will move battery plants to the U.S. because of this. So, it sounds like that worked, but the actual tax credit itself is profoundly confusing because there's a lot of qualifications, and if we take the, the individual qualifications, which is you have to earn less than 150 grand a year as an individual or 300 as a family, you still have the confusion about which vehicles qualify. So, to qualify based on the new plan, the vehicle must be assembled in the U.S. So, that's one part of it, but you don't get any money for that. You still have the battery to think about, and this is where it gets crazy, and I have no idea how anyone is checking this, but the battery must first contain at least 40% materials from the U.S. or a favorable trading partner. That's to qualify for half of the tax credit. The tax credit is $7,500. And the other half is that the battery itself must be assembled in the U.S. So, you combine these three things, must be built in the U.S., battery component materials, and then battery assembly. And you have a very short list of vehicles that qualify for 2024. Now, how do you find out these
0: things? How do you know? I mean, how do you you call somebody up and go, I'd like to know if my battery was made in the U.S.? How do you
1: do that? Uh, The list now is at dealers. So, dealers do know which vehicles qualify. okay. okay. Yeah. But it just came out, and up until now, it's been crazy because it seemed like everything qualified for a few minutes because the Treasury Department couldn't get their, their their tail in gear and actually produce this list. Right, right. I remember we talked about We covered that. And, uh, yeah. in, in fact,
0: uh, Herb, uh, we also mentioned that on Herb on the consumer side, uh, uh, Herb Weissbaum. Uh, we talked a,
1: a little bit about that as well because the confusion went all over the place. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and there's things here, too, that, that don't really qualify, like – they're on the list, like Rivian products. Rivian is the, uh, the truck manufacturer that's operating out of a, a plant down in southern Illinois, in a uh, normal Illinois, I'm sorry. It's an old Mitsubishi plant. They technically qualify, but their products start at $75,000. The cap is $80,000. There's almost no way that these vehicles are delivered for less than 80 grand. So their, their qualification is theoretical.
0: Well, of course. I mean, if you're not going to get an $80,000 car if you're only making $150,000 a year. Right, you know what I mean. Like you have to be right. You have to you have to make under hundred fifty thousand to be qualified to, you know what I mean to to have the car. It's 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 amazing.
1: There's a lot of vehicles on the list that that qualify only conceptually. Isn't that
0: weird? That's so weird. Has has anything like this now? This I mean, people, the manufacturers and the companies and the corporations. Do they sometimes make this purposely confusing for people so they don't take advantage of it? Is that is that in the government? Does that does that happen? You think?
1: Um, I don't know how intentionally confusing this list was supposed to be. It was just a bunch of good ideas that no one really took a broader view of. Yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah, we want manufacturing in the U.S., so how can we incentivize batteries? And it's like, oh, we'll make the incentive for the batteries, and they did this, but it's very confusing. And then you have Hyundai and Kia, which are – really ahead of the game in building electric vehicles, but those vehicles are built in Korea at the moment. They don't qualify, which is a shame, because these are excellent vehicles. They do build cars in the U.S., and a lot of them, they just don't make batteries here yet, and they don't make electric cars here yet. It seems mm. a little bit unfair. So yeah. that's a very strange side effect of this. Yeah, that is weird. That is weird. And again, I mean, the,
0: the article that you have, that you talk about uh, the qualifying um, uh, vehicles, that's all at uh, Consumer Guide. People can check it out at Consumer Guide Automotive.
1: That's right. Uh, and I'll post this on my Twitter account,
0: too. to Check it out on Twitter as well. And you can figure it's car underscore guy underscore Tom, right? Yep. OK, there you go. Car underscore guy underscore Tom, uh, where you can, follow, you can do that, too. And, uh, and once people, you know, the, like you said, the dealers have the lists uh, of what, what qualifies. And then from that point, where do you go? Do you have to con- who do you have to contact after that when you find out that you are eligible for the tax exempt? What's the next step?
1: That, Nick, that is a great question. And I should have covered that here and I don't because it's also very confusing. Right now, it's a tax credit, which means that when you file your taxes next year, you qualify for up to $7,500 back. And and that's another weird limitation because if you don't earn enough money to receive $7,500 back, you'll get less of a credit. I see. So that's a problem. That's for 2024 and I think for 2025. After that, it's going to become a rebate that's applied directly at the dealership. It's going to be more beneficial for a lot of people oh. because they'll get the full seventy five hundred, and they won't have to wait till they file their taxes to get the money.
0: Okay, so that's you only got to wait two more years for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, uh, all that information is available, uh, and it'll be linked up on Tom's uh, Twitter account as well. All right. Also coming soon, the twenty twenty four Lincoln Nautilus. Yeah. Uh, you know, so this car drives underwater. I'm guessing from the name. <laughs> it, <laughs>
1: It doesn't? It doesn't? It, be, it doesn't, It doesn't. which is disappointing. <laughs> yeah. I, I would like that too, but no, the yeah. Nautilus doesn't drive underwater. The story here, Nautilus has been around for a while. This is yeah. Lincoln's mid two-row crossover. But to make room to build electric vehicles in the U.S., which we just discussed is important now because, yeah. Yeah. because of tax credits and whatnot. That's, absolutely. The, the Nautilus is being moved to China. So... Uh, This vehicle that used to be built up in Canada, at uh, uh, Ford's Oakville assembly plant up there in Canada, uh, production is being moved to China, which changes a couple of things. Uh, The Lincoln brand is a little bit higher end over there, so the product that's coming here is going to be disproportionately better equipped than some of the other Lincoln products. Also... Because there's a huge, huge tax hit on on import it's a tariff on importing vehicles from from China. There's a 27.5% tax. Jeez. Lincoln's got to jack up the price on this vehicle a lot. Oh, God. Yeah. So the base price is going up seven grand.
0: Oh, man. Holy cow. Uh, Yeah. Well, who's going to buy that?
1: Um, that's a good question. And the thing about that is, is that Lincoln's only got four products in its lineup, so they couldn't lose one suddenly. So they're going to keep it there. Probably not going to promote it very much because they're not going to make money on it. It's just there to fill a gap until some other product shows up, and that likely next product will be electric. But for now, it's a placeholder. Wait, how often does that happen? I mean, that's
0: crazy. That there's a that there. So they and this is a new car, right? I mean, you know, they they yep. just. And so they're doing it just as that they're creating a new car as a placeholder until something else comes along.
1: Yeah. And you know what? Um, Buick does this as well. There's a Buick vehicle, um, that, that slots up in the middle of its lineup that they just import from China because they had a hole in their lineup and there wasn't really any US product that fit that gap. So they don't really promote it very much. It's just sitting there. Uh, it's a little bit more expensive than the other products, but it's a placeholder. And General Motors builds a lot of products in China. So they certainly had something there they could use. Uh, but until they start building something in the US, they're not going to promote it very much. I see. Wow, that's correct. And then how much time and money is spent
0: on a placeholder then? I start thinking. You know what I mean?
1: Well, that's why you—that's why you tap China, so you don't have to develop something new now. Yeah, um, and, and it, it's working for them, uh, I guess, and it's something in the showroom. But yeah, it, there's no money there.
0: I see. Okay. Well, historically, how is the Nautilus? Have you driven? I'm—I'm I'm assuming you've driven a Nautilus in your—in your time.
1: Yeah, the Nautilus is identical to the Ford Edge, which is also going to just disappear. Um, they're going to replace that with electric vehicles down the line. That was also built alongside of it. Very nice vehicle, actually. A little plane uh, to drive. Not very exciting to drive, but very nice interior. Wonderful stereo uh, and, and very quiet on the highway. So it's a good luxury vehicle. Where does the name Nautilus come from if you can't drive the damn thing underwater? <laughs> I don't know. That just <laughs> appeared a few years ago, like, I don't know, eight years ago or something like that. Not a great name. They do the. Like, they have the Aviator. And the navigator. Oh, you can't fly so, those. Yeah, you can't no. fly
0: those. So yeah. yeah, all right. It's just another name, another fantastic car name. Man, oh man. And this pops up every time we talk. It's like, who names these vehicles? They're fantastic. They just kind of like make stuff up now. You know, I mean, we've had we got the, 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 the Nautilus that doesn't drive underwater, and right. the and the calligraphy which doesn't make your penmanship better. I would imagine no. It does nothing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Penmanship. I'm sorry. Nobody knows what that is anymore. Uh, I'm sorry. I, uh, uh, does anybody do penmanship anymore? Does anybody do? Do kids learn penmanship anymore? Do you know, Tom? Does anybody? Know My that? daughter
1: didn't. My daughter's handwriting is terrible, and she doesn't know what cursive is. So she
0: doesn't know what cursive is. Really? No. And your daughter's in her twenties, right? Yeah, 23 now. Yeah. She's 23, and she doesn't know cursive. No, nope, never learned man. it. God, we sound old now, man. We sound very old. <laughs> All right, we're just old men. Like, I, I, my day, we had to handwrite and do cursive. And you remember, uh, remember, uh, on the wall of your of, of your classroom, they would have the alphabet, and it would be in regular letters and then cursive. They would have the yeah,
1: that, the the green panels, with yeah. the dotted lines, yeah, all the well, way around the yeah.
0: Ex- that's exactly right, all the way around the classroom, and they would have the regular, yeah. you know, the the regular printing, and then the cursive version. And you so, have stupid letters like the large cursive L.
1: What the hell was that? I
0: know exactly. And your and don't even get me started on the Z. That doesn't make no. any sense at all. So no. all right. anyway, well, these kids don't have to worry <laughs> about it now with their damn texting and their and their and their TikToks and all that stuff.
1: <laughs> it's a boomer problem.
0: It, yes, it is, man. It is. Well, we're we're technically Generation X, you and
1: I. I identify more as X, yeah. Yeah, we're right we, on the yeah. line. We're right on that. You and I are
0: right on that border. Nineteen sixty-five is kind of, I believe, the last year for Boomer. First year for, or sixty-four is the last year for Boomer. Sixty-five, I think, is the first year for Generation X. Something. something like that. Around and that I've date.
1: actually seen I've seen charts where that space is left open. Yeah, because we're nothing. We don't. Have- we're nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're the calligraphy generation.
0: That's what we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we are. I'm claiming that as our name. All right. Now, speaking of being old, hey, Tailfins, uh, yes. you've got some great you, – you tell everybody about some of the stuff that you do uh, on the blog, the Daily Drive blog, which is so much fun and so great to check out with ads and pictures, and you go back in time and check out some really cool stuff. Uh, this is this is a chance for
1: you to really cut loose and have a lot of fun, correct? It is, yeah. And I create most of these myself. And I like to go back. And, and a couple of things I love are old concept cars. And I really love old advertising, especially the hand drawn stuff. Yeah. And, and one of the great things about the drawings is that the art was so good, but it also exaggerated the shape and size of the vehicle. So when you look at, especially the thing we're about to talk about, the tail fins collection, uh, the Lincoln, for example, looks like it's three feet longer than the actual car, but it looks spectacular in the drawing.
0: (laughs) Well you've got and again you you sift through a bunch of periodicals and things that are in the offices there. Um and uh and and you and you love looking back at these old ads and then do a wonderful collection of them. And this one that we're going to specifically talk about here for a second is all about tail
1: fins. Yeah, I don't know how I just got to that now, but yeah. Yeah, how did Yeah truly, truly man it took a long time to get the tail fins. Uh, yeah, but the lead image, which is the tale of uh, Cadillacs at Andeville, it was, I saw this ad and I thought, oh my God, I got to do tail fins.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, it described for people who might not know, for people who, you
0: know, never done cursive, perhaps, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who might not know
1: what tail fins are. Yeah, it was a very strange era in automotive design, and it was a function of the of the Cold War era and the jet age, and and people were obsessed with planes, especially military planes, and that. That obsession really heavily influenced automotive design for a while. And though they were utterly and entirely functionless, they did nothing for aerodynamics, we started to see fins rising out of the rear fenders of cars. And, and they came to dominate design, especially uh, for, for late 50s Chryslers. That would have been the Chryslers, the Dodges, the Plymouths, and DeSotos. Just insane tail fins. and. And for whatever reason, people found value there. They loved the design, and it helped sell the cars. And it, it it came and went pretty quickly. There was the the first tail fins are are generally attributed to the 1948 Cadillac, and they're pretty modest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they kind of went away by the like sixty one, sixty two, sixty three. And uh, and I think they're cool. And uh, you know, I I I I love I love when I see
0: cars with tail fins. By the way. Uh, Tom, I think you're going to have to come to our flashback horror convention this year, which is August 4th through the 6th at the uh, Hyatt Regency O'Hare. Uh huh. Because the the 58 Plymouth Fury Christine is going to be there.
1: Yeah, and that's one of those cars. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah, insane. Yeah.
0: And it's a beautiful looking car, and it's insane. It's going to be there. We're gonna, actually going to have it in the in the vendor room. Uh, Excellent. So you, you can get pictures taken with Christine, and that's got some pretty that's got some pretty impressive tail fins there on that on the
1: 58 Plymouth fury it, it it does they're insane they look like they would hurt somebody they do well in the movie they do <laughs> that's that's true <laughs> <was always>
0: <laughs> and, they, and they actually absolutely do so yeah what are some of your favorite tail fins that you covered in this article and some of your favorite because some of the artwork is fantastic as you mentioned and these these old ads are just they're awesome and i love that you bring them out what are some of your favorites in this article
1: about tail fins i, I like the 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 rather modest ones of the 1956 studebaker which is the green and white car green and white car in this ad yeah studebaker at the time was already in a whole lot of trouble and they were, were trying to put really modern designs on very old automotive architecture their technology was dating back to the 40s because they didn't have the money to update their cars but they did some pretty spectacular things with design yeah and, and this is this ads for the hawk which is just a great looking car oh it's beautiful uh, it's beautiful and I love by the way, I love the color design on this one, the, the green and white. Yeah, the two tone. It is great because the white just wraps over from the top of the fenders over to the hood and there's a little hood scoop there in the center. But yeah. the tail fins on this are kind of sharp and kind of modest and they look great as they rise above the bumper. Yeah. I just think this is a fantastic looking car. Yeah, my
0: dad loves Studebaker. My dad loves old cars. Uh, my dad, you know, my dad's eighty one. And, uh-huh. uh, and by the way, he'll be up on stage telling jokes on May 16th, at Zane, which I love, which is the best part of the whole show as far as I'm concerned. Um, but he loves the old cars and I love we, every Saturday I go over to my parents' house, and we have dinner together and we end up watching Guli, And that's what I do on my Saturdays and I hang out with my, with my elderly folks and watch Guli And it's awesome. And my dad will name every car that shows up in one of the movie <laughs> stations. He'll name, he every ca- yeah, he'll name every car. He'll name the year. He'll talk about blah, blah, blah. blah. And my dad loves Studebakers and, uh. And uh, and I'm gonna forward this uh, article on to him because he will go nuts when he sees all these ads. Awesome, yeah. So, but it's fun to it's fun to to, to have my dad like name the cars that that. And I you know I was surprised at like uh, uh, you know how a couple a, a few of these movies from the past few well last week was a was a Godzilla movie so there weren't a lot of American vehicles in that uh, <laughs> there weren't a lot of actual there were a lot of fake tanks that were being <laughs> driven around. Uh, um, but like I, I was surprised at how many etzels have shown up in some of these movies.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably because Edsel put so much money into advertising and promotion in 1958 that everyone was aware of them. Yeah, I I think that like it was just a good car to put there because people knew what it was. What about the? uh, I'm looking at some of these. What about the 57 Lincoln? Looks pretty badass. That huge tail fins on that. That one looks. It actually looks like those tail fins are wings. Yeah, Uh, it does. (laughs)
0: It does. Yeah. And it's I love a, the way the hood
1: line just disappears into the fins. It if does. you're looking at a good profile. You
0: can't even see it. And also, I love the round uh, windshield,
1: how the windshield rounds out to the side. Yeah, it's incredibly exaggerated. The windshield, windshields back then didn't can't back as much as they do now but they did round at the sides which gave you this kind of cockpit feel which i think is pretty much what they were going for
0: exactly it's like a cockpit feel it's like you're in a fishbowl of some kind it's fantastic yeah yeah hey speaking of fishbowls my friend had a pacer when we were in high school did you you ever drive a pacer were you ever a pacer guy
1: did i drive one i drove so many vehicles when i was at the gas station i worked at but i don't think i ever drove a pacer i may have sat in one though i'm very familiar with it
0: yeah, no, the Pacer was a fantastic vehicle. Uh, my friends and I, uh, we, we would drive around in that thing. Uh, like there'd be eight of us, like crammed into my friend's Pacer, um, and uh, and they were at, at once in a while. My friends m- might have uh, used the Pacer to blow weed, would smoke a little weed. I'm not really sure. <laughs> uh, at one at one point, at one point, the Pacer was where everybody went to 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 smoke a little weed, if I'm not mistaken, back in the day. Uh, so. But, yeah, the Pacer always made me feel like I was in a fishbowl whenever I was in one of those things.
1: It, it was a funny car, too, because AMC, American Motors, was in big trouble by then, and they had this design exercise, and they, they went crazy, like, let's just do this, and and they did it.
0: <laughs> I, yeah.
1: <laughs> let's just do – I love
0: that, that that's what they thought, let's just do this. <laughs> they're in a boardroom, a whole bunch of guys are just trying to figure out how to design a car, and they're like, let's
1: just do this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and they did And it almost worked for them Because yeah. originally in 75 The Pacer was pretty popular But if you read the advertising It's clear the copywriters and the advertisers Didn't know how to sell it Because they didn't know what it was And, and they kept calling <laughs> it the wide small car and I'm like what, wait, what the hell is that Wait out? a minute wait 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 Really they called it the wide small car That's what Yeah it... <laughs> So it was like honey we gotta get the wide small car That's what we need they wanted so badly to build like a really modern small car but all they had was this really <laughs> crappy old American Motors architecture so they just plopped this thing on there. They would uh, later add a wagon to the lineup that was pretty functional. Oh but. wait, really? I didn't even a Pacer wagon? There's a Pacer wagon that looks suspiciously like the regular Pacer. It was something yeah. like the the shape doesn't really change I, that much. I was
0: going to say, what are you going to how do you reshape that into a wagon?
1: <laughs> I do. I have a pacer fun fact for you. Oh, please, yes. This is a great fact. So all Pacers were two doors, which isn't the greatest thing if you're trying to sell a wagon or, or a family friendly vehicle. But the two door, the door on the passenger side was something like four or five inches longer than on the driver's side. This what? was to allow, yeah, to allow easier access to the pa- to the back seat. <laughs> Fun fact. Fun pacer fact. That is
0: fantastic. Oh, my God. All right. Now I wish my buddy was still around with his pacer. We could check out if the door is wider on the other end. It's longer on the other end. Wow. Amazing. All right. Yes. And it was, I will say this if, you know, for a car that was designed like, let's just do this, I mean, maybe they were smoking weed in that boardroom, and that's what that car was for
1: with my friends. It was for smoking weed. So I. American Motors was headquartered in Kenosha, which I think is like the weed capital of Wisconsin. (laughs) I believe we're onto something,
0: Tom. I believe we've just—I'm telling you—we've—we've we, got an investigative. I believe we began an investigative unit right here uh, yep. uh, uh, on the on the podcast. Oh, that's hilarious! All right, uh, so check out this old—I don't know how we got into the pacer from the tail fins, but there you go. There's no tail fins on a pacer. That's no, for sure. Let's that's just, true. No, that's absolutely. All right, what about some uh, some classic car ads for the small state? Oh, well, look, that kind of works because the pacer tried to become a wagon. Yeah. So now we're moving on to an article that you did on classic car ads with small station wagons, uh, yeah, which they're... I find which I find weird.
1: Uh, you know, back in the day, if you had a compact car, you sold it as a coupe, you sold it or a coupe or a hatchback as a sedan and a station wagon. It was just <laughs> a thing. And, and station wagons have completely disappeared from, from the U.S. market. There are no mm. affordable station wagons here anymore. Yeah. And even the ones uh, Volvo sells a couple, and BMW and Mercedes still do. With- hey,
0: by the There's way, a- before we jump into this, Tom, I, I want to mention yeah. that there is an, an absolutely maybe the best movie I've seen so far this year. Uh, it's based on the Judy Bloom book. It's uh, are, um, are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Oh yeah um, i've seen, I've seen your post. It's, it's unbelievable it's my it's truly my favorite movie so far this year it's lovely and it takes place in the early seventies, and there are several station wagons in it, and there is a scene where they pile the kids in the back of the station wagon um <laughs> uh facing the opposite direction. you know the seat that was always facing the back yeah, yeah. they've got and they've got like six kids unbelted. In the back, you know, in the back of the station wagon, and it brought me back immediately to those years where my aunt had a, My aunt and uncle had a station wagon, and we'd sit in the back with the seat facing the opposite direction.
1: Remember those? I do. Um, my dad had a '69 Ford with the rear-facing uh, seat. Yeah. So my sister and I sat in that sometimes. Yeah, and well, that's it's it's shown in all its glory in this movie. Which, by the way, Tom, uh, not
0: only is it a great movie, but it'll flash you right back because you and I are the same age. Oh my God, the cars, the deck, the decorative stuff everything and it's not done in this movie it's done genuinely and it really does feel like they're bringing you back to that time it's not done as a joke you know what i mean like to be hip oh it's the 70s let's throw this in there um but it brings back genuine memories like being in the back of a station wagon unseat belted facing the opposite direction
1: yeah (laughs) And no one was worried about it. Absolutely
0: not. Absolutely not. So, but anyway, so the station wagon is prominently featured in uh, one of the one of the million reasons you should see. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Which is a great movie. Uh, Excellent. But anyway, so station wagons, uh, as part of your ad, what are some of the smaller ones that you that you love uh, covering in this ad in this article? Well, one of the
1: ads I found, and I'm so glad I did because I forgot this vehicle ever existed. But there's a 1968 ad in this list for the for the Saab wagon, and and. <laughs> The sob Saab, sobs didn't even have model names in those days. It was just a sob and there's a wagon version of the sob here and it's it's incredibly weird looking.
0: Well, what i am I'm I'm looking at the, what the hell is this ad? What what's happening here? <laughs> I think are I they think
1: on a, what's <laughs> I'm sorry, but this ad is like, are they on a mountain? What is happening in this? They do seem to be prepared <laughs> to die. Um this wagon is going downhill over rocks, <laughs> towing a boat. It, it seems like a terrible idea.
0: It really does. I mean, it looks like a scene from 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 you know uh, from a terrible horror movie. It looks like they're yeah. going to die. It looks like everybody's going to. I mean, they emph- they don't really emphasize the car or the boat in this ad. They emphasize the rocks on the
1: mountain, like they're going to die. Um, I, my best guess is all sobs in those days were front wheel drive, which was before cars had all-wheel drive though that was the domain of trucks yeah all-wheel yeah. drive was great in the snow and great for traction and sobs being from sweden they know about snow so sure i think here they're largely pushing the fact that this thing's good in the snow and in rough terrain and stuff though i would not do what they're showing here oh no oh my yeah. god i love that
0: the sob they just were called sobs yeah you got a just sob sobs.
1: what kind of sob a sob okay all right cool yeah, I've read this, I read this out a couple of times. There's no model name. It's a song. No, it's just a sob.
0: That's like when you go to the South and you order a Coke. Yes. And they say, What kind of Coke? I'll have a 7 Up. You know what I mean? Like that's because every. Yeah. Seriously, that's what it a is. Because here in the Midwest, it's pop, and at most places, it's soda. Um, but if you go into the South, it's Coke. And, and then they ask you, What kind of Coke? And then you go, I'll have a Dr. Pepper. You know what I mean? I mean that's, that's what it is. Everything is Coke. So, uh, all right. So everything is sob. Uh, uh, how about the the seventy five Volkswagen Dasher?
1: What? Yeah, <laughs> people forget about the Dasher. Volkswagen before Volkswagen became a full line manufacturer, they dabbled in things that weren't rabbits or golfs or Beetles, and the Dasher <laughs> was one of those things. And and actually, these were good cars. But were they? Yeah. 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 They were likable, very space efficient, uh, very fuel efficient. There's also this ad kills me because there's some technology in this ad. Referred to as skid breaker, <laughs> and I can't find any reference to what this is supposed to be.
0: What do you think it would be, skid breaker? Break? I mean, what? Yeah. what
1: uh, the 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 emergency break? Maybe. I'm, I'm, I need to reach out to someone from Volkswagen, but I think it's some early form of analog analog braking. Oh, I see. Okay, but it would have been really early. Yeah. So I have I have no idea. But there I'm, it is.
0: I'm thinking it might be I'm thinking it might be the the, the, the pulling on the emergency brake. That would be my that's that's my, <laughs> the skid breakers. <laughs> Yank the emergency brake up and see what happens. So there you
1: that's go. That's like the kind of thing your drunk co pilot did when you were learning <laughs> to drive. Just keep grabbing Dude, I'm driving. <laughs> Finish your beer. Oh man. I remember
0: I had it like the, the second time. That I took uh, what? What do they when you when you were in driver's ed and then you were out on the what do they traffic? You would go out into we call it traffic, right? When yeah, you would, I yeah. think so. Yeah. All right. Well, we had one of we had one of those cars where like you were driving and the, the your instructor also had like brakes or something on his side, uh huh. You know, or a wheel or something. I can't remember, but he but he had like he was able to also I think break the I think he had brakes on his side on the passenger side. So you're in traffic. You're like 16 years old and you're trying to drive in traffic. And I had a lunatic my second day of traffic when i went out um uh he was he the guy was a maniac he was just nuts and he would slam on his brakes all the time what are you doing <laughs> and i was a nervous wreck as it was i was 16 and i was out you know i was trying to get my driver's license or my permit you know so i can go get my permit and uh i had to pass drivers ed to do that and i remember being out in traffic and this guy was a loon this guy was nuts he was like sweating profusely uh and like and he was like, yeah. And there were like two other kids in the back seat, and we each had to, you know, had to drive while this jagoff was in the passenger side, slamming on the brake every five minutes. And I remember at one point he slammed on the brake while we were in the middle of a of a, an intersection. And I'm like, what are you do you <laughs> Like, like so that so maybe that's what the the, the you know like you were said the p- people pulling on the power brake. <laughs> maybe it was easier for that. Do you ever have a maniac uh, as your as your driver's ed? Uh-
1: teacher? No, you know, the first time I went out, I went out with two other guys and I grew up in Palatine and yeah. Palatine in 1981 and earlier was pretty rural. And, and it was very easy to just take your parents' car and go for a drive in those sure. days sure. when you were 14 or whatever. Yeah. And, and the thing that happened during my, my first ever driver's ed behind the wheel experience, me and two other guys was the guy, the, the, our, our teacher, our, our driver's ed teacher said almost nothing. And then when the third guy got behind the wheel, after a few moments, he goes, you guys seem pretty familiar with the operation of a car. <laughs> Here are your permits. Go. Yeah. Uh, did you also have the simulators? Because the simulators were hilarious. They don't have those anymore, oh, do they? Oh, God. I don't th- My daughter didn't deal with the simulator. but No? But, uh, oh, they were so bad. They were there was, ridiculous. There was no relative connection between the wheel and the film. It was a film. I mean... How are they scoring this?
0: <laughs> For people who don't know, you're in a classroom and you're behind a fake wheel with brake yeah. and, and uh, with a brake with brake and uh, and gas pedal and there's a movie screen that's been pulled down and you're watching like an 8 millimeter film of basically <laughs> yes. from from the point of view of a car driving and you're it's called the simulator.
1: <laughs>
0: and there's nothing that is simulating a real drive the way you really drive a car at all.
1: No, we uh, would we would have learned more playing millipede. Uh, <laughs> it was so oh, bad,
0: man. and you know, and then stuff would like like if you screwed up, it would light up, like you would your where you were sitting, it would light up, like like people would, and like I had friends who were like, you know, flooring it, you know, like the gas, <laughs> like going ninety, and the instructor is like, knock it off, you know, like they're sitting in the back, like, <laughs> so, yeah, the simulators. I wonder when the simulators stopped because I. I took I don't drivers. Know. I took drivers. Ed and I think it was 1980 or 81. I took 81. It had to be right. Yeah, 81 ish. Uh, but I, they had to stop soon after that because I mean, I think like we were driving like the, the simulators. I think the cars were like from the. I think they all had tail fins when we were when we were driving in the simulators. <laughs>
1: I remember, too, the simulator had a uh, three-on-the-tree shifter, a manual transmission that's on right. the column. It, it did, yeah. uh, and I kept wanting to use it. And I kept getting yelled at. <laughs> the, the, the teacher would be like, it doesn't work. And I'm like, I need it to work. How am, I, how am I
0: supposed to learn on a parallel park? What the hell is <laughs> yeah. going on here? Oh, my God. And, and we drove, like, when we when we would drive in, uh, uh, God, not not in the simulators, but when we'd get in real cars and drive around the park. I, I learned at Taft High School is where I, I learned. Oh, uh, and in the parking lot, they would have us drive. I don't know what they called that when you're out in the parking lot driving. Um, but we had Ford Fairmonts. That's what we drove. Ooh. In. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> you remember
1: what you drove in, in the, when you were in the parking lot driving around like an idiot? I do. We had a Chevy Citation and we had a, what I believe was an Oldsmobile Cutlass sedan. Ooh. Okay.
0: All right. Yeah. yeah I had the Ford Fairmont. So I, 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 uh, that's where we, when we drove around the parking lot at Taft High School. It was a Ford Fairmont. Oh my god. Anyway, yeah. all right. Well, anyway, check out those <laughs> check out the check out those ads. The ads are hilarious. They're awesome and you can check it out at consumerguide.com. Uh and you love to watch TV and you also like to freeze frame the TV and take pictures of all the stars that you find. We call that star spotter. Yeah, much to the chagrin of my wife. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, and I have to say I did see you you did see Cindy Brady on uh, Gunsmoke and I love the fact that you refer to her as Cindy Brady instead of Susan Olson. <laughs> Because tell everybody how she's dressed in this episode of Gunsmoke that you watched. Oh, wow. I don't remember. It's well, she's like... got pigtails. I mean, that yes. right there. <laughs> yes. Was she required to wear pigtails? Even if she was in a period piece, she had to wear pigtails, right? I mean, she's in the Old West, and she's wearing the know. Cindy Brady pigtails. I don't know. This
1: had to overlap pretty closely with the Brady Bunch, because this was a color episode, so really late in a Gunsmoke run. Yeah. She may have she may have already been Cindy Brady. I don't know. Cindy that...
0: Brady, I believe, started in 68, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think the Brady started in 68, so that might have been about a year before. Oh, okay, then this did overlap, because Gunsmoke yeah. went
1: through 72, yeah. 73? Guns,
0: Gunsmoke know. was on forever. Gunsmoke was on yeah. forever. And it was a color episode. And, he, and, and then you also do The Mystery Show. Uh-huh. Now, one of them, now, I don't know The Eighth Man, your mystery show, because when you do The Mystery Show, explain to everybody what The Mystery Show is if they want to check it out on your social medias.
1: Yeah, I have colleagues back at the office who are, love The Mystery Show, but I, I grab a still, usually from a failed show or an obscure show, and I post that without any sort of background information whatsoever. So totally out of context, and people have to guess what the show is. Without Googling it. Don't cheat. Yeah, don't cheat.
0: Yeah, don't cheat.
1: But you don't put up anything. You don't put up the names of the cast members, just the
0: picture. Nope, nope, nope. So you yeah. have to do it kind of from knowing what they look yeah. like. Now, I knew one of them immediately, but, but it wasn't the Eighth Man. What the hell is the Eighth Man? Explain.
1: The Eighth Man was a black and white companion thing, and I think it was from the same studio that brought a speed racer. So the Eighth Man was a, was a superhero of a sort, and eighth is, eight is very lucky. It's a lucky Japanese number. Yeah. So the Eighth Man was sort of like a, uh, I would say, more of a Captain America type. Okay, all right. Yeah, I don't, but the opening I, credits are fun. I
0: bet they are. I mean, it's Japanese animation. That stuff is fantastic yeah. if it's from the same people who did Speed Racer. The thing I loved about Speed Racer, if you go back and watch Speed Racer, is just how unbelievably violent that show is. <laughs> like, in the opening credits, 12 people die in the opening yeah. credits. Like, cars explode. I mean, it's, unbelie- <laughs> it's
1: unbelievable. And people I watched get- it. People get mowed down with machine guns regularly on that yeah. show. Yeah,
0: and run over by cars, and cars yep. explode. They go over a cliff and blow up. I'm like, my God. That shit
1: scared me when I was a kid.
0: Oh, I used to watch it. Oh, my God, religiously. And, it. I, and by it. the way, I love the Wachowskis live, live action version of it. I don't care what anybody says. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I'm alone on that, but I love it. Now, the that other one with- that I knew. I'm sorry, go ahead. That was with John Goodman, right? Goodman was yeah, Pop. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Emil Hirsch. I saw that. Emil Hirsch was uh, was Speed, and, okay. and Christina Ricci was Trixie. It's it's fantastic. Oh, oh no no, it's good, man. It's good. It's the no, right. I saw I it. Saw I it. saw it. Oh, I, I love my it. daughter. Yeah, oh, I love it. All right, so I don't remember the Eighth Man, but the other one I knew immediately, and oh. that is that is Misfits of Science. Now, yeah, uh, explain Misfits of Science, and you posted that one.
1: Yeah, 1985, and I think it was just sort of a – not a spin off. it was just playing off the weird science kind of thing of the era. And well, um, no yeah, one I recognize in this cast.
0: But it, No, I knew it right away. And I'll tell you something. It wasn't just weird science, Tom. That was a very, very, very popular year, year and a half of nerd science movies because you had okay. weird science. You had my science experiment with Dennis Hopper where they bring dinosaurs back. Oh. Um uh, you had, there was another one. And, uh, the, and also, but the, but the best one of them all is Real Genius uh, right. with Val Kilmer, which is the greatest nerd movie of all time. Uh, and those all came out, like, right around that same time. And so, like, obviously, Misfits of Science was, yeah. All these, all these movies are coming out, these nerds. Like, Manhattan Project was another one that came okay. out at that time, too. And it was, like, nerds, computers. They were very popular at the box office, so let's do it on TV. And that show was terrible. <laughs> So, um, all right, well, keep an eye peeled for more stars, and, 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 uh, and people can check that out on your Facebook page and, uh, and, uh, and, and where you do that. And your wife uh, continually is like, oh, my God. My long-suffering <laughs> wife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, are you, what are you working on for, uh, for the next uh, Consumer
1: Guide Automotive? I am working on uh, an article about an aerodynamic test vehicle, a concept car that was produced by Panhard in 1948. Panhard, a forgotten French brand, but this car yeah. is crazy looking. And I think that if you've watched old sci-fi movies, you've seen this vehicle just show up because mm. it's so great looking. Oh. So, yeah, it, it, it you have to see it. I don't think I can sell it with words, but it's okay. a great looking car. Very sci-fi.
0: Keep your eyes peeled uh, while you're at Consumer Guide Automotive, and that's consumerguide.com. Uh, and follow Tom uh, again on Twitter. Where, what's your handle again?
1: I am car guy Tom. That's car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter.
0: There you go. All right, Tom, always a pleasure. Always have a blast talking uh, with you about cars, and we'll do it again next month. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Okay, Nick. buddy, take care. There you go. That's Bye-bye. Tom Appel. He's the best. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and my dad's going to stop by and tell a joke right now. Hello, Dad. Ooh, it's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go. With your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What'd I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Here we go! Yeah. That's right. It's time for my dad to tell a joke. Oh, wait. Hold on a second. Oh. Hi, I'm
1: Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show.
0: Hi, Carrie. You gotta move out of the way. My dad's here to tell a joke. All right, dad, hit it. Doctor, my baby is an image of his father. Never mind as long as he's healthy. (laughs) That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. That's right evidently that child is ugly. All right, thank you dad. We'll see you later. All right, see you later. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell. Yeah, and I understand. I love All right. Nick Show. Thanks everybody for listening. My thanks to Herb and Tom helping you for the people out and we will see them again i'll hear them again uh, on the first of uh, uh, first Tuesday next month. Jim Ryan will be my guest on the next episode. He is our music guy. lots of concerts to review and interviews to talk about and music to uh, to bat around. He writes for Forbes and The Daily Herald. You can check him out at radio dot com He will be my guest on the next episode. Esmeralda will be back as well. so please be a part of that podcast again. Voicemail us at twenty four seven 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 three four one seven six nine four eight email us nickdpodcast at gmail dot com My thanks to uh, To Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits and Jason uh, for doing all the music and the sound and the cool stuff and the themes and all that stuff. And my thanks to you, and we will check you out next time on the Nick D Podcast right here at Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The
2: wind is right on me.